Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode 67 and is being recorded on August 26, 2016. Today's topic, top 10 Star Trek episodes. I'm Aaron. And I'm Eric. This episode is brought to you by Revenge Lover, illustration and design that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Hey, Eric. Hey, Aaron. How's it going? Not bad. We're on the precipice of the 50th anniversary indeed we are I, uh, that's just, a good uh, word precipice yeah I, I figured i'd get the dictionary out today nice uh hopefully i pronounced it correctly um <laughs> you did good job <laughs> uh only two weeks i think just about yes yes exciting time hopefully we'll get another episode before then maybe yeah, uh, I hope so. What do you plan on doing to celebrate? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. Um, hmm. What I'm, I'm going to turn that around while I think of an answer. Okay. What What will you be doing? I probably will be watching The Man Trap, the first episode to air. That's a good choice. That's a really good yes. choice. Will you be doing anything else? To uh, well, my whole life is uh, centered around Star Trek, so it's um, like just another day, I guess. Just another day. Maybe I'll try to find a new toy, a new Star Trek toy, and play with it. Nice. Well, uh, for me, I mean, it's September eighth. It's a Thursday. It's like a, a, only a few days before uh, the big trade show that my company's going to. So. I'll probably be too busy to really do anything, but I do plan on watching at least one episode. I just don't know which one it'll be. Maybe it'll be the man trap, but I, I recently watched that anyway, so I don't know if I want to watch it so soon. Oh, I see. Well, there's, there's plenty of other options over 700 hours worth of star Trek to choose from. Indeed. Yeah. I'm sure I'll find something. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. So why don't we, warp into the first segment of the show. Would you buy it? So, Eric, would you buy this? Absolutely not. Really? <laughs> I'm I, actually surprised. Oh, it, oh, it says hoodie. Oh, well, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I was never a big varsity style guy. Well, mm -hmm. what we're talking about is the Star Trek Next Generation Varsity hoodie. <laughs> Available from, of course, none other than ThinkGeek. Yeah, they should really sponsor us by now. This is $69.99. You can choose between blue, red, or gold, Science Command, and Operations. Each has a chenille combat patch on the chest and Starfleet ran across the shoulders, plus a Starfleet Command patch on the right sleeve. There are seven... You know what? I'm really glad you said that, not me, because I would have butchered the pronunciation of that word. You uh, mean Chanel? Yeah. Okay. Uh, there's seven snaps on the front. 
Two pockets on the outside, one interior pocket, striped and ribbed cuffs, waist, and neck. The jersey hood buns into the neck for easy removal. Uh, it's 55% wool, 45% viscous body. The hell is that? 65% PU and 35 viscose sleeve. 100% polyester lining. Machine wash warm, tumble dry low. Um, no, I, I really don't care. Really? It, I, I thought to me, it doesn't, it doesn't fit my style. I love hoodies, but I just, I just don't like this style. It's not a traditional hoodie, uh, since it is a jacket. It's, yeah, but they're still calling it a hoodie. So uh. yeah. Yeah. Uh, I like it. It looks, I think it looks cool. I think the, I wish the compact plus it, it, plus it doesn't come in my size. So screw them. Oh, really? Oh. That's unfortunate. I mean, I, um, I usually go with size larger, so yeah. Okay. I think the... I wish the com badge was a tad smaller. I feel like it's very... Um, it's huge. Over the, yeah, it's over the top in in this. And the Starfleet that's written across the back is pretty pretty large as well. Yeah. Um, so I think I'm, I would possibly pick this up. Uh, I probably won't, but um, I think it's cool. Cool. I mean, yes, yeah, uh, ThinkGeek has made some pretty awesome products over the years, and this just uh, continues their Star Trek uh, tradition of a crap ton of products. <laughs> but not crap quality. Uh, no, so... not crap quality, crap ton. <laughs> yes. Uh, so why don't we warp into the next section of the show? The news. Wow. <laughs> so, Star Trek Bridge Crew will debut November 29th and will be available for the Oculus Rift, HTC Vive, and Sony PlayStation VR. Depending on how good my work bonus is this year, I will get a PlayStation just for this game. Absolutely. I The game looks great we've talked about it on the show before yeah i recently picked up a playstation uh four but i will still need to purchase uh the vr the vr which comes out on my birthday uh if anyone is uh listening (laughs) uh (laughs) october 13th um hint 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 uh, wife uh <clears throat> I, I actually yeah <laughs> i actually want to know when star trek online is coming to consoles when's the date for that i only saw fall yeah i want to know the date like <laughs> the now exact, the exact date i, I want to be inundated with star trek games mm. good star trek games yes and we know star trek online is already uh very quality Oh yeah, yeah, and Bridge Crew looks amazing too. Oh, it so totally does. I just want to jump in the command chair. Uh, it looked like I was, <laughs> was going to say LaForge, uh, but <laughs> Lavar Burton looked like he had a blast. Oh yeah, I mean they all did. Like I yeah. was very impressed with that trailer, and just seeing how fun it was, I'm like, yeah, let's let's go for it. Totally. It's going to be great. Who who doesn't want to be in command of a ship? 
I know, right? Totally immersed in it, not just looking at a computer screen or a TV monitor, but full right. in your face. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's going to be great. Okay, so as of a couple weeks ago, there is still no firm release date for consoles. Mm. Well, soon. Which is disappointing. Yeah. Soon, I hope, because it's uh, a, f- a few more days, really, until the unofficial start of the fall season with uh, Labor Day in the United States. Next in our news, Simon Pegg has revealed that the planet Ultimid uh, was named after his daughter Matilda. So, oh, is that like a rearrange of Matilda? Yeah. I think it is, the letters. Yeah. And Commodore Paris was indeed a nod to Star Trek Voyager's Tom Paris. Pretty cool. Yeah, most definitely. And that was an announced during a Q&A during the Chinese premiere. Oh, very cool, very cool. Next up, Brian Fuller revealed Star Trek Discovery is set a decade before the original Star Trek series. There will be a female lead, though she will not be the captain of the Discovery. Yeah, so going into this, this was announced during the CBS portion of the Television Critics Association press tour that happened a few weeks ago. And apparently the lead character will be a lieutenant commander with caveats. So there's something going on uh, with her rank. Apparently it will be a 13-episode season, which we knew, that there's an incident, an event in Star Trek history and the history of Starfleet that's been talked about but never fully explored. And they said we're telling a story through a character who is on a journey that is going to teach her how to get along with others in the galaxy. And Fuller confirmed that the event that kicks off the series is not Kobayashi Maru, it's not the Romulan War, and it won't involve Section 31. Fuller later spilled at the event that the event was referenced during the original series, and diehard fans should be very happy. It's something I want to see. He said there will be robots. I don't know so, how I feel about robots. Although I I think it fits into the canon because the original series, they had a bunch of like robot characters. Did they though? Yeah. Like the muds women, they were all like Android, like primitive Android. I, I guess, but those, they weren't Federation or Starfleet. They were just randomly. Well, who's to say- um, yeah, who, but who's to say there won't be robots here? That, that's the thing. Like when, because I've been watching, I've been rewatching the Next Generation, like the early seasons, yeah. and people react to Data like, "Oh, you're an android," but they're, I mean, they're surprised at how sentient he is, but they're not surprised that the fact that he is an android, like they've already encountered like robots and stuff like that. So I don't think it's within the, you know, I don't think it's not canon to have robots around that time. It's just something we haven't seen a lot of. Yeah. I'm thinking like R2D2 kind of robots when when I hear robots. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Another thing he said is we'll probably have a few more aliens than you normally do in a Star Trek cast. Uh, He said we're going to have new exciting aliens and also reimaginings of existing aliens. And actually on his Twitter a few weeks ago, I don't know if you saw that, but there was like a test 
and it looked like Andorian. Yeah, I, I saw the antenna. That's cool. I, I was like, oh, Eric's, Eric's going to be happy. Oh, I am. And then Fuller <laughs> also strongly hinted that Amanda Grayson, a.k.a. Spock's mother, would figure into the series. And he, and he said, I love that character. I loved Winona Ryder's portrayal of her. It's a great character. It would be fun in some iteration of the show to incorporate her and her storyline. She's not a central part of the show, but we love that character. Mm. That'd be that'd be interesting, I suppose. Is she yeah. an ambassador? Or I mean, she, she's an ambassador's wife, but she is not an ambassador herself. She was yeah. just the wife of. So I mean, if we see Amanda Grayson, that means if this takes place ten years before the original series, we'll see a younger Spock, probably. Hmm. If you think about it, I'm thinking. I wonder who who would play. I don't know. And then finally, uh, he said that the show will feature about seven lead characters. So kind of a standard like cast for a Star Trek series. Right. At least a main cast. Deep Space Nine went off the rails and had an amazing supporting uh, cast of characters. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So that's cool. Uh, I'm looking forward to Discovery in January. Uh, even though there'll be ads during the the show, which I'm not happy about, it's like 20 no, minutes, 20. It's like 20, 15 minutes of ads <laughs> during during the show. I know, I know. You don't have to, you don't have to convince me. I'm I'm pissed off too. <laughs> yeah. Armin Shimmerman <laughs> confirmed on his Twitter feed that actor Barry Jenner, who played Admiral William Ross. Uh, throughout the run of Star Trek D Space Nine, uh, died at the age of 75. So Ross was a great character. He was a very great character, and he added a lot of presence uh, to the show. And Generation was infamous for having like a, this revolving door of admirals. And it wasn't until D Space Nine and Admiral Ross that we had a, a really consistent uh, D Space Nine Admiral, other than maybe um, uh, what's her face, Admiral Necheyev in Next Generation. Oh, yeah, right. Other than her, I mean, but we got to see a lot of Admiral Ross in D Space Nine, and he yeah. was a strong commanding presence. Uh, he even argued a bit with uh, Cisco on occasion. So I, I thought he was a great character, and um, uh, condolences to his family. Ira Stephen Bear has announced that he, he has been working on creating a documentary about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. The documentary, planned for release in 2017, will look at the impact and influences of the series, or influence of the series. Yeah, and I guess um, it's currently being edited right now. Uh, this was kind of announced at the or this was announced at the Star Trek 50 anniversary convention in Las Vegas. Part of the documentary, Bear brought together the D Space Nine writing staff and gave them one task to break the story for the first episode of a a supposed season eight. Mm. He said that the writers still had the same chemistry they had when they were making D Space Nine. Uh, The writers even went on, went on to map out some of what they would like to do later in a uh, fictional season eight, even though they were only tasked with coming up with the first episode. 
that's pretty interesting. Yeah, and I can't wait to see this uh, documentary. Yeah, it's uh, we never got a proper movie, obviously. Um, yeah. And I, I always thought we needed some uh, resolution to the Cisco character. Yeah, and there, I mean, the pocket books they continue these season eights and beyond like they did it for DC nine. They did it for Voyager. So in the book series, you get those resolutions. But to me, I, I wanted a resolution on screen for sure. Yeah. All right. So that's the news. So why don't we warp once more into the next topic? And today's topic, the top 10 Star Trek episodes. Nice. So how are we doing this? Um, all right. So we each have six. Now, I thought we would have some overlap and we could remove two of them. We can still, I mean, we still can remove two. Because if we're each doing six, that's 12. Right. It's just going to be harder for us to remove them because they're not overlap. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Let's take it down by each series. Each series. And we'll do right. we'll do each of our picks for that series. Okay, so, okay, yes. Let's do that. All right. So for my pick for the original series, I went with Balance of Terror. Fantastic episode. I believe we've done a supplemental. We did a commentary. Yeah. Yes. And we've we've talked about it numerous times on the show since then as well. It's basically a a naval battle in space. And the first time uh we see the Romulans and right. find out that they are offshoots of Vulcans. Mhm. And we learn some bigotry exists once it's mm -hmm. uh seen that Romulans and Vulcans are related. So why in all of the original series is this one your favorite? The fact that it's basically a naval battle in space. That was the aspect that really appealed to you? Yeah, because it seemed very realistic to me. The, the tension was very real in that episode. Like, they really built up the suspense. Right. Uh, which I liked. And you got to see both sides... Uh, kind of try to figure out what's going on. And it almost reminded me of like Red October. Mm, one of my favorite or Red, movies. Or maybe, yeah, maybe Red October took its cues from Balance of Terror, now that I think about it. Maybe. I think this and The Hunt for Red October got its cues from movies made during the 50s. Oh, yeah. Lot, lots of World War II uh, reflectionary type movies. All right, so my pick for the original series is The City on the Edge of Forever. So for those who are living under a rock and, <laughs> haven't, <laughs> and haven't watched this episode, this is the episode where uh, McCoy gets injected with a uh, triox compound and he jumps through the Guardian of Forever. Mm -hmm. and it ends up changing history once he goes through. So Kirk and Spock have to follow him back in time through the Guardian of Forever, and 
they eventually they wind up in like 1930s uh right 1930s or like, yeah yeah during the depression yeah during the depression and i'm not going to spoil it but stuff happens <laughs> well i i don't know why i can spoil it i mean it's a 50 year old spoiler show. alert <laughs> yeah do one of your sound effects oh um yes hold on one second just do a, uh, red, just do a red alert oh red alert do you have a red alert? Okay, so I'm spoiling this this 50 year episode, 50 year old episode. But no, um, Kirk falls in love with Edith Keeler, and it's almost like he doesn't want to go back. But McCoy acting crazy, and I guess I mean McCoy. Wait, was it? She's supposed to die, right? She's supposed to die. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what happened was that. It's found out because Spock uh, hooked up his tricorder and he's using some primitive electronics of the time to play back the Guardian of Forever's loop in time to find out what event that they were supposed to change. And it come to find out that Edith Keeler has to die in order for basically the Nazis not to take over. Right. <laughs> so... McCoy wants to save her from she's in the path of a of a car, but Kirk stops him and she dies. And thus they're they they're able to reset the timeline and go back home. So emotional story because we get to see Kirk fall in love with this woman and he has to choose between her and timeline. And he basically has to make one of the most ultimate sacrifices that you could make. He has to let someone die in order for the future to be preserved, his future. So it's a very emotional story, and it involves one of the best things about Star Trek, which is time travel. And I think there's quite a few other uh, episodes in our top ten that, that do feature time travel or alternate timelines. So, yeah, that's, that's why... That episode is one of my favorites. It's because uh, we get to see Kirk fall in love and then have to choose between duty and the woman he loves. And that's uh, it's pretty powerful. Yeah, and that's something we haven't really seen from his character in the original series. We've seen him mm -hmm. like hook up with uh, you know the alien of the week, but not fall in love with with the character. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the first time we really see him uh, fall in love with a character. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's funny that you picked this episode because I don't know if... Uh, you've seen this uh, posted on Twitter, but uh, I picked up the graphic novelization of the original teleplay of The City on the Edge of Forever. Nice. And uh, the artwork in it is amazing. Can I uh, see? I see. Yeah. Just put it on the screen. Let's see. I'm I'm trying to pick a page. Oh wow, that is that is good artwork. I mean it's pixelated, but I can no, it's good. Yeah. Um let me see. I know there's some other pages that are pretty cool. Oh, and there's some like alternative covers for it. Very nice. 
and uh, it's very well done. It came out a year ago, uh, but you can pick it up for twenty five bucks. Uh, and if you, I I suggest doing it if you can. Very well done. This uh, original teleplay. Well, I think I will get it. So, in in my top six, I figured why not do every series, and that includes the animated series. I picked an animated series episode. You did not, Aaron, but you guessed it immediately. Right. Uh, my favorite episode of the animated series, and ironically enough, involves the Guardian of Forever again, is the episode Yesteryear. Very good and, episode. I think we did a uh, supplemental on this as well. Yes, we did. So it was a great episode where Spock has to go into his own past to, again, correct another time travel mistake. And it's great. We see, you know, a lot of great things about Spock's past. We see a lot of Vulcan explored that wasn't explored in the original series. And this is one of the few animated series episodes where the majority of this is considered canon. Yeah. His whole story is considered canon. Overall, there's been a debate whether or not the animated series is in continuity or not. But if anything, the facts in this episode make this a real dive into Spock's history, and that's why they decided to make it canon. Yeah, uh, great episode. Uh, one of the originals, well, one of the animated series episodes that I would definitely watch again is yeah. this one. Like you said, great backstory for Spock's character and the Vulcan homeworld, and we see uh, references to it in other series. In, in Enterprise, I believe, we uh, we see some yes. reference. And yes, this is a direct sequel to City on the Edge of Forever. And Dorothy Fontana, when she wrote this episode, it stemmed from the idea of when she remembered that particular episode mm. and she was thinking about the time portal and you know how they could use that for a legitimate trip instead of an accident. Mm. So yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great episode. I think uh, everyone should watch it. Yeah. I likewise, if I picked an episode from the animated series, this would have been it, but instead I picked two episodes of the next generation. Technically three, but who's counting? So you are. We, we yeah, we, we're counting. <laughs> uh, so first for the next generation, the best of both worlds, parts one and two. I love this uh, episode. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the best Borg episode ever made. I'm gonna throw it out there and say it. No, I I would agree with that. For sure. Um, yeah, Captain Picard is a uh, spoiler alert. Uh, he's uh, he's abducted <laughs> and uh, by the Borg, assimilated. assimilated by the Borg, made to do terrible things for the Borg. And then in the the second part, we at at the very end, we we get him back. So one of my favorite Next Generation episodes. I even bought, I don't have the Blu-rays, but I bought the Best of Both Worlds Blu-ray. Just that up. Uh, nice. Do your other I, pick, man. Should I do my other one? 
So <laughs> next up, <laughs> I picked yesterday's Enterprise, another time travel episode where the Enterprise C comes forward uh, about 24-ish years into the future, disrupting the timeline where history does not record the battle of the Enterprise C with the Romulans defending a Klingon outpost, leading to 20 years of war with the Klingons. I, one of my favorite episodes. We get to see Tasha Yar come back. Yeah. And the events of that episode have repercussions later on in the series because of this time travel stuff. Yeah. It's a tricky thing, man. Time travel. Yeah. Uh, I recently watched this episode about a couple weeks ago and Mm -hmm. I forgot how much Guinan had a part in this episode. She was the one that was able to sense the change in the timeline and we get more perspective into her species powers or her powers. Right. And uh, she couldn't exactly tell everything exactly what was wrong, but she felt that everything was wrong. Yeah. And it was uh, kind of a, a great perform. It, w- it was a great performance by Whoopi Goldberg because Guinan was very troubled about what was going on in this new future. Right. Slightly off topic, but involves Guinan and uh, time travel altering the dimension that they're in. I wonder if the character of Guinan in the 23rd century of the Kelvin universe knows that something's amiss. Yeah, I wonder. That's a, wow, that's a very good... Hmm. That's a good observation. She, she must, right? I would hope her so. Whole, her whole species must. Yeah, that's true. What if, what if the events of the Kelvin timeline, uh, maybe the Borg don't show up? Mm. Maybe her civilization is saved, or maybe the Borg come earlier than they were supposed to. Right. Then we're screwed. So yeah. who knows? Who knows? So my next generation pick was another one that we've talked about on the show many times. Mm-hmm. And it's one that Aaron accurately predicted is my favorite. And it didn't used to be my favorite until I saw the director's cut, like the restored extended edition uh, from the remastered. And I got to see it in theaters, which was so cool. Mm. Uh, When Fathom Events was still doing those. Man, I miss that. (laughs) Measure of a Man. This is the episode where... It's a, it's a court episode. That's essentially what it is. Data is fighting for his rights as a sentient being to be classified as a sentient being and not property. Right. And it has some of the most, it probably has some of Picard's greatest speeches in this one episode. Mm-hmm. And I really like this episode because it's less of an action driven episode. And this one's a real emotional thinker. It's a philosophical question. Is Mm -hmm. data alive? Right. Can this Android be considered a sentient being? And yeah, it's a very powerful episode. 
I think Brent Spiner and, and Patrick Stewart, this was some of their best performances in the show. And I liked that Riker was forced to, well, wait, was Riker advocating for data? Uh, no, no, he was against. Yep. So Riker, and this was a great moment for Riker. Riker had to set aside his personal feelings for data and mm -hmm. argue the other side of the argument. Yeah. That data is just a machine. He's right. Starfleet property. And there was a scene that's uh, particularly powerful for me with Riker as he's sifting through uh, the Lacar's data bank and he's looking at this diagram of data. And then he like, has this gleam in, an eye, in his eye that he found something. And then a second later, he looks down sad that he found it. Yeah. Because yeah. he knew this could potentially uh, be bad for for data, and, and what right. he found was data has an off switch. Yep. And it actually that seems very dramatic when he says when he turns him off and says, you know, the puppet strings have been cut. Very powerful episode. Yeah, and I mean, Star Trek always has great action and, and great effects, but. It's episodes like these that really center you back on what Star Trek really is. Mm -hmm. And it's a real commentary uh, about what we consider life is. And it's going to be more relevant in our near future because, I mean, robots and, and all that stuff, the technology is advancing. Who knows when we'll have artificial intelligence, but I think it's going to be sooner rather than later. And this was a question and a topic that Star Trek addressed 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. And it's coming full circle. So that's why, to me, uh, Measure of a Man is one of the best uh, Next Generation episodes. I, I definitely agree with you there. So next, Deep Space Nine. And for my pick, I went with In the Pale Moonlight, an episode which is... Very different, I think, from any other episode of Star Trek, because it's basically Cisco uh, retelling a tale in his personal log entry. And he's this. This is unique because he. This is a character directly talking to us, the audience, mm -hmm. and that has never really happened in Star Trek before. Right, and you know, obviously, it's it's done with flashbacks to uh, the moments he's, he's talking about. And it's, it's about having to do something bad in order to accomplish the greater good. Yes. Which, you know, it's uh, very tough sometimes to have, like, have come to these moral decisions where, you know, you have to bend the rules in order to have an outcome that's beneficial so uh basically we have garrick frame the dominion yes which would force the romulans to break their non-aggression pact with the dominion right yeah because he's framing or he's getting help uh to make the dominion look like that they are going to invade romulus right and, and then they're the going to be the aggressors and a ship is is destroyed i, th I think yes and this is the episode where we get, it's a fake, right? Yeah, it's a fake. Yeah, yeah. 
so this episode's uh, very cool, and you see the turmoil that uh, Cisco is going through. Great, uh, great performance by Avery Brooks. Yeah, and I like this. It's because throughout Star Trek, and especially the Next Generation, you know, we're conditioned to think that all of these humans are, you know, near perfect and have mm-hmm. these very high morals. And this episode just breaks all of that. Right. Like, Cisco is at a very desperate point, not only in his career, but it's a desperate point in the war in general. You know, you have a major power, the Alpha Quadrant, essentially signing a, a non-aggression pact, when the Federation could really use their help. And with without the Romulans, ironically, you know, because Starfleet has had such a history with the Romulans, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with without them, they would lose the Alpha Quadrant. So it's a key point in the Dominion War. And it's a fantastic episode because we see these espionage-type elements that you really don't see a lot of in Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, and Deep Space Nine was definitely darker than other series. Yeah, but it, it wasn't overly dark. It's not like grim dark. Oh, no, like, no, no. Oh, you, go from, you go from the utopia of the next generation to right. a more realistic view of how humans really are. Yeah, and also, uh, you know, seeing galactic politics... Uh, mm. that eventually leads to war. So now right. you're dealing more with, you know, huge alien governments, and and this was one way. Like, you know, they, they're talking about, oh, the Tal Shiar, you know, the Romulan intelligence and Starfleet intelligence and this and that. And you have to remember that it's like taking what we have on Earth now with nations and just expanding it to a galactic scale. So there's still always going to be spy networks. There's always going to be intelligence gathering. And there's going to be lies and cover-ups. And uh, that episode really deals with that. So my pick for D-Space Nine, it's called Sacrifice of Angels. And this is the end of the Dominion invasion arc in D-Space Nine. This is season six, episode six. And... The season five finale was about the Dominion taking control of Deep Space Nine, the station. Mm. And we had this whole arc of episodes, and this is the episode that caps that arc. This is all about Operation Return, where the Federation is going to attack the Dominion blockade by force and take back Deep Space Nine. This episode crams so much. We have one of the largest space battles that we've ever seen in all of Star Trek. There's fleets of ships on the screen at any one time. Uh, It's one of the largest battles that's ever shown in Star Trek. And it's, at the time, uh, it was very fantastic. Like, you had a grander, almost Star Wars feel to a fight. And it was very cool. And there's a lot that goes on. They, they take down the uh, minefield that was set up in the finale. So the Dominion couldn't bring back their forces mm-hmm. uh, through the wormhole. There's a lot going on with Dukat and, and Weyoun. You know, we see a lot of ships lost on, on both sides. And there's a major death of a supporting character. 
that has repercussions throughout the rest of the series. Mm. So this episode crammed a lot of things. I mean, it, it even, I mean, Cisco even dealt with the prophets. There was this whole thing. So this episode was a real turning point in the series because all the things that happened in this episode would have repercussions until the very end of the series. Okay. And yeah. I think just from a pivotal standpoint, this is one of the best episodes of D Space Nine. This set season and a half into motion. Mm. And and that's why I love it. There's there's a lot there's a lot packed into this episode, but it yeah. never felt rushed. Like there was a lot going on mm, okay. and it, it just it felt epic. It, it was like a scale that I hadn't seen before in Star Trek. Just the 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 fight alone was amazing. Yeah, I, I unfortunately it's been a while since I've seen this episode, so I don't really remember exact details of it, but I do remember uh, the epic epic battle uh, yeah. that took place. Just a little trivia that this episode is the largest battle ever seen on Star Trek, and it tops uh, Way of the Warrior and the Dias cast. This is also the first Star Trek episode where CGI is used exclusively for the space battles. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, this is the first episode where the battle scenes were entirely done in CGI. The producers realized this was a massive project, so they split workload between two effects houses, Digital Muse and Foundation Imaging. So there is a lot going on in this episode, and visually it it really stood the the test of time. Like I couldn't even imagine how they would remaster this if, if it was remastered. Oh, like to redo the effects. Yeah. Like so, something like, you know, a Blu-ray, like what they did for the restoration of next generation. Um, I think there's a couple things that they could do because I know uh, later on in other battles, there was some future episodes that, borrowed footage from sacrifice of angels so <laughs> well Star you know Trek maybe they could that. do yeah but maybe they could do like a couple new effect shots or something but either way it's it's a fantastic episode awesome you're convincing me on this episode eric uh good it's a great one <laughs> watch it <laughs> I, I will i've i've seen it it's just been so long um, oh yeah so next up uh star trek voyager and my pick is Message in a Bottle. Yes. This, this you kind of took mine because uh, I really love that episode. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, the Alpha Quadrant uh, represented. Uh, we do. Represent. We have the Doctor being transmitted to an experimental ship, the Prometheus, where we see... Which is multi- one of the, the coolest ships in all of Star yeah. Trek. I was I, I, at Power Morphicon yeah. a, a couple weekends ago, and I got to meet up with our friend Darren, uh, uh-huh. Dr. Sci-Fi. And he had gifts for all of us. Like It was my friend Chris and Doug. Okay. We've had Doug on the show. Yes. And so towards the end of our dinner, Darren brought out these gifts, and it was we could pick any of those, like, the miniature ships. Okay. Like the models. And I picked the Prometheus which was uh, in Message in a Bottle. Oh, he, he 
Did he also have a Voyager? He did not. Oh, okay. I told him uh, your favorite ship was uh, the USS Voyager because he had asked um, me. I, wait, I think he did have a Voyager, but I already have the Hallmark ornament, which is uh, a pretty yeah. good representation. Right. I saw the Prometheus, and I was like, oh, my God, it's a Prometheus. This is amazing. That's cool. He also had the Dauntless, which my friend Chris oh. got, and I was a little jealous of because I, I kind of wanted the Dauntless too. But now that yeah. I got one of these mini ships i kind of want to collect all of them of oh, oh so this is uh from from that uh series of ships there's like so many now there's like hundreds yeah it's it's crazy yeah. but i have the prometheus it's awesome that's pretty cool i i like the prometheus because of the multi-vector assault mode it's so cool i don't know about having like warp engines on on all of them but uh i forgive that because like no i if, like that I like the top one where it had the embedded like mini nacelle, yeah, and when it yeah. popped out, you could see on the on the dorsal side, um, yeah, you could see the other nacelle like pop right. out. I love that. I thought that was amazing. It's uh, a great uh, detail. Oh no, it's it's definitely cool. But that means there's like how many warp cores on this ship that could <laughs> potentially uh, go critical. No, I, I get what you're saying. I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But no, I, this was also a ship that had holographic emitters on every mm, deck of the ship. Right. And that's how the doctor could walk around. Yeah, very cool. It, and they had Andy Dick as a uh, as a <laughs> emergency. Uh, yeah, major guest. Yeah. He was a major uh, guest star for that. Yeah. Yeah, and they went up against the Romulans that were trying to steal the Prometheus. And uh, these two holograms are able to defeat them using mm -hmm. using uh, the technology on board. A very cool episode. Uh, I probably picked this one because it's the least Voyager episode of in Star Trek Voyager. Wow, you just said uh, <laughs> Okay. But it's, <laughs> I'm sorry, but it's still a great episode. <laughs> I, you even almost picked this episode. It is. Um, I did. So, yes. so uh, yeah, I, I, there are other episodes I liked not, as well. Okay, okay. So my favorite <laughs> episode, I'm cheating here like you cheated on Best of Both Worlds, is uh -huh. Year of Hell. Uh, the Year of Hell is a fantastic episode and we basically get to see an alternate year in Voyager where everything goes wrong. They go against the Krenum Imperium, which is a major uh, military power in the Delta Quadrant. And they are a race that have mastered time manipulation and timeline manipulation. They have a whole ship that can target specific objects or people or items or ships or anything they can target those things and erase them from history and they see that they, they have the ability to see immediately what the changes are in the timeline so the krenum are trying to shape the timeline so they can restore their empire and from a time travel type of story it's unique because they're not really going anywhere in time. You're just seeing the effects 
of erasing something from history, which is a unique perspective. And this whole two-parter, yeah, by the end of it, the timeline resets and we go on our merry way on Voyager. But this is a look at how bad Voyager could really have it in the Delta Quadrant if it got to be worse. Mm -hmm. And we see the ship fall apart. It takes a beating. They're constantly pursued by the Krenum. And it's it's pretty intense. So I really like this episode and this two-parter. It's got a great pace throughout the episode. And yeah, we get to see a lot of cool things in the show. We get to see the escape pods in Voyager launch for mm. the first time. So very cool, very cool effect shots. Impressive in Voyager. Great character moments and also things that that just happen in the show. So it's it's great. Yeah, uh, don't we see Voyager get destroyed? In we episode? do indeed, and that's they destroyed the Krenum ship by basically Janeway sacrifices herself and rams Voyager into the Krenum time ship, and that's what's able to completely reset the timeline by taking the Krenum ship out of the equation in the first place, and it undoes mm-hmm. all the damage of that. And it turns out, ironically... That's what needed to happen anyway, because the captain uh, of the ship, played by, um, oh God, Kurt Underwood, I think? Right from uh, that 70s show. Yes, from that 70s show. And yeah, he was he was the dad that in that 70s show. And that's, even when that episode premiered, I'm like, oh my God, it's that dad. It's the dad <laughs> from Kurtwood Smith. There we go. I mean, even when I watched this, I was like, oh my God, it's the dad from that 70s show. That was great. Yeah. This really felt like a Voyager movie in a way. Mm. Like just a Very. cool side story. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. I support it. Next up, we are going to Enterprise. And for my pick, I went with Shuttle Pod 1, which is an early, it's a, I think it's a season one episode where Trip and uh, Reed and are uh, on a shuttlecraft and they think the Enterprise is destroyed and uh, they think they're, they're numbered. <laughs> so uh, so they're, they're drinking, getting to know one another. And it feels like a very sci-fi-y episode and mm-hmm. almost, almost like a naval episode again because they're like trapped on a submarine basically, and they think they're going to die. Well, not only that, but it it felt like kind of like being on an abandoned raft in the middle of the ocean with no Mm -hmm. island in sight. It felt like that too. Yeah. And I really like, and you're right, this was a first uh, season episode. It was uh, later on in the first season. Um, But I like that this episode put Reed and Tucker together Mm -hmm. because throughout the rest of the show, they're such great friends and it stemmed from their experience from this episode. Yeah. Cause they, they didn't get along prior to this episode. Well, I mean, they, they just, they kind of butted heads a bit. Yeah. And it's definitely a great character episode and one that I, I like, I like watching. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, nothing really exciting happens or, 
that's pivotal to the rest of the series. Yeah. But I, I think it's a, a, a good one-off episode, character-driven, and you all should watch it, I think. Yeah, it was definitely a bottle show. Like, they only mm-hmm. used a couple sets. <laughs> right, yeah. So it was definitely one of those episodes where they had to lower the production costs of the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, this is, uh, I'm reading the Memory Alpha page. Apparently, this is the first episode in which no, this is the first episode of the show where no scene takes place on the bridge of the Enterprise on X01. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. That's a nifty little fact there. So for Enterprise, mine was the fourth season episode, uh, the Anar. Mm. And this is the end of a trilogy arc that started with Babel 1, then United, and then the Anar. The reason I like this episode in particular is because I really, as I've said before in the show, I really love the Andorian species. I had a character that I did in uh, play-by-email simulations for many years. And yeah, so I love the Andorians. And the Anar is the first time on screen that we see the planet of Andoria, and we find out it's a moon. And there's Andor, which is the gas giant, and Andoria. So we get where it, uh, we get that kind of correction and continuity because sometimes it's called Andor, sometimes it's called Andoria. So mm-hmm. that was cool. We get to see a lot of shots of the planet. Um, it's really fantastic. But it, it's not just because, yeah, I love Andorians. This concluded the events of that arc where the Romulans have you know, their plans have been foiled. And now, because of the events of this episode, now the Tellarites and Andorians are working together, which is leading up to the foundation of the Federation. Right. And it's hinting at that Romulan war that we never get to see on screen. At least we get this trilogy because we almost get a taste of what the Romulan war would be. Right. You know, we get to see Tellarite ships and Andorian ships and the freaking Enterprise join in and, you know, all take down this telepresence drone and really end this arc with a bang. But there's I, there's, there's a lot of great things that happen in this episode. And we get mm-hmm. to learn, because of the episode's title, we learn that there's an entire subspecies of Andorians. Right. That are, they have a different look. Mm-hmm. They have they have like telepathic powers, so it's fascinating because we get to see just not only in this episode but that entire trilogy of episodes, uh, we get to learn so much about Andorians and their culture and their planet. So I think it it was great to flush out one of the most unique original series aliens that mm-hmm. was ever made and never really touched upon. And it frustrates right. me. I'm doing my rewatch of the next generation. And there's so many times where they name drop Andor or Andoria. And, you know, I was watching the offspring and 
we see an Andorian in the next generation, yeah. and it's kind of freaky looking. And we also get to see one in the background of Captain's Holiday on Rise. Oh, really? I d- we I'll do. Have to, I'll have to rewatch when that. he first when he first meets Vash, and yeah. it's okay. It's really clear because it's a remastered episode. You can clearly see it's an Andorian in the background. Like that's full on. Okay. Like two minutes, you can see them. Nice. Um, so, but after that. Andorians were mentioned a lot on Next Generation, just name-dropped, way more in Deep Space Nine. And it wasn't until Enterprise that we they reimagined the species and brought it back. Right. So that's why I, I love... Because this was like the last Andorian hurrah for Enterprise, because it mm-hmm. was the fourth season. So, right. um, yeah, that's one of it's, that's why it's one of my favorite Enterprise episodes of all time. That's cool. I, I do like the telepresence uh, drone that um, that hollow technology kind of uh, kind of echoes the the cloaking technology which the Rhinelands have. Yes, a- and in I think we do see a, a decloaking Rhineland ship in an earlier season of Enterprise, which I we was do my dis- minefield. Minefield, which was an episode I I considered for my top my top episode, and that was another good uh, Tucker episode too. Yeah, so I, that kind of disappointed me with the with the cloaking thing. I thought having like this hollow technology would have been so much better as a hmm. precursor to the cloaking technology, but probably different writers. <laughs> <laughs> that concludes our. Are six each. So, which I think you should eliminate one, and I should eliminate one. All right. I'm going to make it easier for you, since I guess we're not really counting the animated series in this. I will eliminate yesteryear, even though it's a fantastic episode. Everyone mm-hmm. should watch it. Yeah. Uh, just for all the Spock history of his childhood. Yeah. But I, I I'll eliminate it since you didn't pick an, okay. an animated series. Well, I mean, you can keep it if 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 not for. No, I, I really love all the other episodes I picked, so I, I'm going right, to sacrifice okay. this for you. Okay, I'm going to sacrifice Shuttle Pod One. Wow, I'm surprised you didn't sacrifice Voyager. Uh, I really like that episode of Voyager, actually. Okay, good, good. Uh, As you should. It's yeah. a great episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, Prometheus is awesome, and who doesn't like Romulans? Uh, There's so, yeah. a lot of Romulans in, in this list. <laughs> yeah. Now that I think about it. Yeah. So that means we're left with, in no particular order, we have The Best of Both Worlds, In the Pale Moonlight, Message in a Bottle, Balance of Terror, Yesterday's Enterprise, The City on the Edge of Forever, yes. Measure of a Man, Sacrifice of Angels, Year of Hell, and The Anar. I love it. So those are the episodes that you need to watch and, and do it now. Well, not now. <laughs> well, we're, not we're now. Let us, let us finish our episode. <laughs> but watch them. They're great. They, they are great. And since this is the 50th anniversary, uh, what better time to do it? Amen. There you go. Do it. There, there you go. Watch them. It, it's only about 12 hours of, of episodes. Uh <laughs> So it's uh, 
<laughs> you you have some good weekend watching. Yeah, uh, most definitely. So, <laughs> why don't we open up panel frequencies and move oh on gosh. to <laughs> the subspace channels? Uh, so let's this, do it. Yes, let's do it. This week we ask, what is your favorite episode of Star Trek from any series? So here are a few of the answers that we've selected from the various social media networks we have posted this question to. Thank you to everyone who has answered, and if we did not get to read your answer this time, try again on our next Subspace Channel question. So first up from Facebook, we have Sherilyn Butler, who says, I love a mock time, addressed hmm. marital issues, uh, and then she says edict. Every time I read that, I want to say martial art issues. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Marital issue, martial art issues. Uh, uh, moving on, Michael Gonsalves said the original series, Mirror, Mirror, and Charlie X. It's a guilty pleasure. Uh, Next Generation. Best of both worlds, baby. Yeah. The animated series, the Tribbles episodes. More Tribbles, more Tribble? I don't know. Those are the only ones I have watched. I'll get around to the others eventually. In quotation marks, I feel ashamed. Don't feel ashamed. Because if you watch Star Trek and you've enjoyed it, you are a Star Trek fan. Most definitely. Next, I'm going to butcher your name, Conchur more yeah uh, yeah i really huh? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, whoa. yeah i really enjoyed redemption which is a good episode in the next generation as it was a great story with lots of space action thrown in plus you get to see data as captain in various new ships i loved the visitor in deep space nine and one of the only episodes in the series that genuinely moved me. A joint first for me in DS9 was In the Pale Moonlight. It, you recall, it's when Cisco tried to get the Rhymelands into the war. Great mix of good actors, treachery, and the battle within your own conscience to do the right thing. Thing. Uh, it showed a different side to Cisco. Oh, and it was Garrick Heavy, which is always great. It is. It is great. Good, good picks. It's so cool. I love Garrick. I have like two Garricks now in uh, timelines. I I think I have three. <laughs> three. <laughs> no, I have. No, I have two. I have Mirror Garrick and Taylor. Yep. Yep. That's Garrick, what I have as well. Which is really. That's the only Garrick you need is Taylor Garrick. That's true. He's remember, he's just a simple Taylor. Oh yes. Next we have Josh Utley. I hope that's how you say your name. Uh TNG season two, episode nine, Measure of a Man special edition version, like you were. Yeah. Yes. Bringing it Great back. Episode. <laughs> Great episode. <laughs> Bringing it back. Uh, now, moving on to Google Plus, Skeet's Data Droid. 
um, said Star Trek. Yes. Said Star Trek Voyager, Year of Hell. For episodes eight and nine, the Voyager crew finds themselves in a series of conflicts with the Krenum Imperium. Next time on Star Trek Voyager, <laughs> we have Roland Robels. Sure. I hope I'm saying Robles. your name right, as always. Maybe Ro Ro Roland Robles. Roland Robles. That's easy. All of them. Oh, yeah. Poppy, Poppy Cookswell said Endgame from Voyager. Mm. Endgame. I did like that it was a, a Borg finale. I, I did like that. We did a uh, commentary. We did. On Endgame. <laughs> yeah, you and me. You and me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I said we did, not we did. Oh, no, okay. I... <laughs> Thanks. Uh, next, uh, I think these names are made up. Uh, Ves, uh, Vespian Wayne. Shit, the Gadanze. Yeah. Shit, the Gadanze. All right, that was a good one. Hey, you're the one that picks these names to put in here, so it's your fault. I don't pick their names. I pick... <laughs> no, you pick them to be in this. That, that's that's very true. Next uh, next time, I'm just going to... The names <laughs> have been changed uh, to protect the innocent. Done, done. <laughs> um, Chris Wren said Doomsday Machine. That's a good episode. Is a, that is a good episode. All right, Aaron. What puts your quantum state into flux? So, do you have a? I'm sorry. <laughs> do your thing. I I have a new a new intro because as as listeners know, I now have a soundboard. So here is the intro to this uh, section of the show. Once again, it's time to ask: Do you know what puts my quantum state into flux? Why is there no live TV special event on CBS for the 50th Star Trek anniversary? UPN did it for the 30th, and 20 years later, I'm left disappointed that this is not happening. God, you know what? I remember watching that, too. Me, too. And I can't believe it's been 20 years. God, I feel so freaking old, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I've... I feel super old right now. This is nuts. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, how, how often can you go, remember that time, you know, 20 years ago uh, <laughs> <laughs> when UPN was a thing and Frasier yeah, um, and part of the Star oh my God. celebration? It was hosted by Ted Danson. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> And it featured an assortment of montages and a large number of speakers. Among them were Ben Stiller, Joan mm. Collins, John Delancey, Nichelle Nichols, LeVar Burton, John Larroquette, Marina Sirtis, Avery Brooks, Buzz Aldrin, and Dr. Mae Jemison, who was an extra in mm -hmm. The Next Generation. Yeah, and she's an astronaut. Exactly. Yeah, and wasn't Joan Collins in City on the Edge of Forever? Yes, she was. Very good. Yeah. It all ties together. It does. No, it's like, yeah, why can't they do a television event for the 50th? Yeah. That would be I amazing. Mean, do it. I mean, 
we're all going to end up paying for it anyway, so why don't we just have one on CBS All Access? Exactly. Like, I mean, just... it, would, it would get us to buy into it months in advance. What if they did that on CBS? What yeah. if they showed a new trailer for Discovery? That'd be cool. Or introduce the entire cast. Mm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You I mean, there's still time. The cast. They, they've got two weeks. Make a live event. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Just, just do it. Do it. It doesn't have to be on the actual day. I'm willing to forgive a month if if we can get something epic and oh, have God. a live show. Just something in this 50 years, you know? I mean, 50 is way more epic than 30. It I is. mean, come on. And CBS this, is a major network. This video that you link to yeah. um, has Japanese subtitles. I know. That's probably how they get around uh, putting it up. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> uh, yeah, so in the show notes, as long as it's still available, you'll be able to watch the hour and a half episode of the Star Trek... Uh, 30 years and beyond uh, special event that celebrated the 30 years of Star Trek. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I yeah. might watch it after I'm done recording and editing another podcast, but yeah. Yeah, I, I think it'd be good to watch. Uh, you know, it brings back memories. It's the same time where, uh, oh, was that? We had First Contact. We had Deep Space Nine and Voyager. Uh, so many things going on in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, 1996. I mean, that was like a crazy year for Star Trek. Yeah. So but I mean, yeah, that's when fir- that's when First Contact came out, right? Yeah. Yeah, 96. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, you're oh, so old, too much. Eric. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so I mean, that's good. I think if if nothing else, they should have the rights to this uh, CBS. They should like put this out there so we can watch it again on Netflix or or something. I I dig that. I was reading the comments of this. I forgot that Kenny G had a segment in this. <laughs> oh my gosh, Kenny G. If there's nothing more mid nineties than Kenny G, <laughs> there you go. Oh. Uh, so yeah, uh that is what put my quantum state into flux. And I'm sure it puts many other states fluxing as well. I'm completely fluxed now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you didn't even know it until I, <laughs> until I told you. Until I saw this clip and I'm like, man, that Frasier segment. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny, that, that segment. Yeah. No, it was good. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was fine. All right. So uh, thank you all for listening. It's been a pleasure talking our top episodes of star trek as always eric it was great talking to you again oh, of course. about yes. star trek if we were to f- find you on the interweb where would we locate you yes you can tune in to the homing signal on the internet that is That is at TrekkieB47 on Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff uh, on YouTube and all that. 
And you can also find my Power Rangers podcast at Ranger Command PH on Twitter at RangerCommand.com, part of the Four Eyed Radio Network. And you can find me at Nova Charter. Every, <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. Oh my oh whoa. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, so until next time, live long and prosper, and we will see you later. <laughs> Peace out and long life, homies. <laughs> Live long and prosper. Biatches. Whoa. I'm going to up to bleep anything, Eric. I said biatches. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at SF Escape Pod. Like us on Facebook.com slash SF Escape Pod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to Google.SF Escape Pod.com. <laughs>